90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Good, good. Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> it's coming up on what's normally our slower time of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's not slower. <laughs> hey, that's what you get for being successful, man. I mean, it's great, but also uh, we're having to really work on our project management Mm. skills which has been something fun to learn it's a whole nother skill set and even more so our like it sounds crazy that we're too busy so we need to worry about marketing but we need to worry about marketing wow which is getting really bizarre that's gross (laughs) and it's certainly nothing we learned in school (laughs) oh no (laughs) oh marketing hmm that's interesting I'll be very interested to see when we revisit this in a couple of months how you're using technology to do all of this for you. Oh, we're working on some pretty killer workflows to okay. try to yeah. reduce the number of people. But also at some point, there's only three of us and there needs to be more. <laughs> yes. No, no, that's that's absolutely, I totally, totally get that. Um, yeah, I totally get that. So, and there's, uh, there's just nothing that can replace, and this is so hard to tell younger Shannon and John or whatever. There, I mean, there's nothing that can replace, like, trying a thing and failing at it, right? Like, there's nothing that can replace saying, this is how we're going to do this project. That was a horrible mess up. Like, you wouldn't know until you tried it, so. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's experience, right? Yeah. Ugh, so hard to hard to be patient enough to gain that experience though and the other thing that we're well i think we're doing better with it now but is realizing like sometimes you gotta just like detonate the situation (laughs) (laughs) either you know forget about sunk cost and like blow it up and start from ground zero uh I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I think that's like going to be my new mantra. <laughs> Sometimes you need to detonate the situation. Sometimes you just got to detonate the situation. <laughs> I think that is brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'm super surprised that you would say that too. I yeah, think, and it's yeah. it's been a really hard thing to learn. Mm-hmm. It's like some stuff, like, that was an idea. It didn't work. (laughs) If we had infinite time and money, we could make it work. We have neither. (laughs) We need to, you know, throw the grenade down, respawn, and do something different. (laughs) Oh, God, that's so good. That's probably my favorite um, Halloween costume from Halloween this last week was, there was a kid that was a really good Enderman, so... Speaking oh, of nice. respawning, yeah. <laughs> so, also speaking of uh, respawning, <laughs> uh, there's, you know, a geologic event that causes basically the equivalent of detonating the situation <laughs> that you love to talk about, which are meteorites. 
Oh, that's a great segue. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, when we were apart for so long, I think I got real, real sad about it. And I sat down and I just did all this random research. <laughs> and as you said, obviously catastrophic bolide impacts is something that I'm very interested in. And so we actually hadn't, we've talked about how to like spot a meteor crater, how to figure out whether that landform came from space, but we've never actually talked about what those things from space are. Right. And this is definitely like, if you're, uh, if we're, meteorite science is a layer cake we're like barely scraping the top atom of icing off of this 20 tiered layer cake <laughs> with this show oh yeah because mm -hmm. i know this is a very yeah this is western science at its best when it comes to categorizing i feel like that comes down to meteorite types <laughs> Yes, there there is no story describing the origin of the big rock that comes out of the sky, but there is a tiered classification system. So, so many classifications. So like I said, this is literally the first, like, taking the ion mill at these classification systems. But also these may be words that if you just dabble in this, you've heard a little bit and maybe want to know a little bit more about. Um, there's certainly... Us being a state geology school, you know, we get a lot of people who call in and are like, I've got a meteorite, you know. Um, it happens at least once or twice a week. Um, and we have someone that we send people to. She's actually really great. She has a sort of ask a geologist monthly thing where you can take her your meteorites or meteor wrongs as they may be. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but, you know, you've got a choice when you say, you know, is this a meteorite? You got a choice about what type of meteorites there are. Some of them are pretty easy to tell. Some of them are really hard to tell. But let's throw around some of these words, at least for the first pass of what are, you know, types of meteorites. Right. And so the first one is going to be what a lot of them are, which is an iron meteorite. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a big chunk of metal <laughs> and it's so weird to think about where a big chunk of metal comes from in space right i mean i mean ufos clearly right i mean that's all they are broken up pieces of different ships right yeah <laughs> i mean that's what they look like with their weird windman textures <laughs> yeah uh-huh yeah there you go um yeah, so these iron meteorites, I mean, we've got meteorites coming in from all over. And so if you have this iron meteorite, it is exactly that. It is a chunk of metal. So where does metal come from? <laughs> Planetary cores. Yeah. Which planets? Planets that never were. <laughs> yep. Or were and catastrophically deconstructed. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you think about making our solar system and making our planets, right, here on the inside where the gravity is higher, we have all of our um, 
rocky planets, I guess. And so most of our cores are made up of metal, no different from the Earth, right? And you have to imagine that even though there's, you know, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, there were probably more than that in terms of planetesimals in the beginning. Yeah, and some got aggregated into these other planets. Some just kind of drifted off, though. They didn't ever get into the gravity well of a bigger body. Mm-hmm. And they went out on their own to have a fiery death in some atmosphere. <laughs> exactly. But we do have pieces of this left over. And that's what these meteorites are. So they're the ancient cores of little protoplanets that didn't make it. Um, and most asteroids probably fall into this category, right? So if we're talking about the asteroid belt, that's probably what that, what that whole area is. Um, and so if you find one of these iron meteorites, that's probably came from the asteroid belt, but also if you're into meteorite anything at all, you know that if you cut open these iron meteorites, they have these really weird crystalline structures Right, so you have iron, iron and nickel that crystallize and they make this super strange pattern. And it looks like a manufactured metal, but it's really like the crystal of those metals. Yeah, I mean, it's a, well, metallurgy is fascinating and I wish I knew more about it, to be yes. honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a space foundry. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it's got this great name called Widmanstaten Texture. And it is very indicative of, yeah, this is absolutely, absolutely a meteorite. Just what you said. It's a iron forged in space. The way the crystals cool down from when they were made 4.6 billion years ago forms this Widmanstaten Texture. And it is just beautiful. Yeah, and you think about it, like, well, what's different about things cooling in space? Well, in a vacuum, things don't transfer heat very well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. you just have radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the cooling process is a lot different than in a planet or in an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Oh, it's so, they're so weird. These meteorites will be really heavy, obviously. Um, a lot of them have that super dark crust, like what you would think a meteorite should look like. Um, a lot of these meteor wrongs, though, I will point way back in the day where we had our concretion show, um, which, boy, that was probably a long time ago, right? <laughs> um, a lot of concretions that form in rocks almost look like iron meteorites because a lot of concretions are formed from iron. And so the outside of them will look just like a meteorite and they'll be heavy. But if you open them up, they're just sandstone. It's not that Widmanstaten pattern that you would expect in a meteor. Right. Yeah. Um, And I guess I should actually correct, you know, earlier I said iron meteorites are the most common. I don't think they're probably the most common... That we get. That but we get, yeah. They're probably, I mean, maybe, am I wrong here, the most abundant based on things like the asteroid belt? That's, yes, that's that's what I think is probably true. If you're looking at the solar system, but maybe not like what we see 
here on Earth, but that's not indicative of like what the asteroid belt has to say, which is another show <laughs> about <laughs> categorizing asteroids. So yeah, you're right in terms of probably the most abundant out there, maybe not what we see here on Earth. And I remember getting a book from the library when I was a kid. I can't remember the book. I can't remember any details about it. But it had a picture of them hunting for meteorites. And this is probably in the 50s or 60s when this picture was taken. And they had an old, like a Studebaker car. And they were towing it across the desert floor. <laughs> they were towing a trailer behind it that had a giant generator and big electromagnets. <laughs> dragging behind it to pick up metallic That's chunks of things. Amazing. That's awesome. And I bet a lot of those metallic chunks were iron concretions that were forming in a lot of the sandstones out there because that's pretty pretty common right mm -hmm. but yep. now i've just for some reason remember that picture and thinking like that's amazing so that's how you find meteorites <laughs> fourth fourth grade me <laughs> but i mean yeah that is the other way is to go to antarctica because it's really easy to spot those dark chunks of metal on white ice right Mm -hmm. But iron meteorites aren't the only kind of meteorite. No, they're, I can't even say they're arguably the prettiest. I mean, I work on iron, so I think they're the prettiest. But the next group of meteorites, the <laughs> very non-confusingly named stony iron meteorites, are pretty beautiful. Yeah, and so these are iron meteorites that also have some not iron in them. Yes, exactly. Some stony in them. Some, they have some stony. That is a geophysicist type of rock. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It sounds like geophysicists named these. Well, this one's iron. This one's rocky. Yeah, stony iron. <laughs> oh, man. it's Wow. I'm going to have to look into that etymology for sure now. <laughs> um, right. So the stony part isn't like what you would imagine. When I think stone, I think like boring, boring limestone but these are some awesome <laughs> yeah well i think like granite but okay <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> gray i think of a gray rock right <laughs> but these have some really awesome silicate minerals in them and we sort of break them down by that because i mean one type of them sort of does look kind of boring but <laughs> But we'll start with the prettiest one first, and that is the group of meteorites called the palisite meteorites. Yeah, and so these are olivine amongst other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so olivine is really pretty. <laughs> They're these green, imagine that from the name, um, crystals. And so if you look at you need to look this up. You need to look at like a slab of a palisite meteorite and it has iron. Imagine like iron is the matrix. And then these big, I mean, couple millimeters in some of the ones I've seen before, greenish yellow, huge crystals throughout the whole thing. So just like sort of floating in this iron matrix. Right. And conveniently, we don't really know how this forms, <laughs> but, but olivine is like, it has a lot of iron in it. It's magnesium, iron, silicate. And so if iron meteorites come from 
protoplanetary cores, these palisite meteorites maybe come from core mantle boundaries because there's a lot of olivine in our mantle. That makes sense. You know, we're going through the different stages of planetary differentiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you probably got a bigger body, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you'd have to have a bigger body to have this core mantle boundary that's intact. Definitely like a little bit older body. Like it's made it through differentiation stage. So you have an absolute core and then you're starting to settle these heavier elements like iron and magnesium. They've formed some olivine and then you explode your little planetesimal. I guess. Right. <laughs> but, like I said, we don't really know how they formed. They also uh, they also could sort of be this weird melted thing that comes out. Um, I like this mantle core boundary. That makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick with that. But what's important when we think about that is that differentiation, when you have all these blobs of molten rock laying around, and we're starting to differentiate, and by that I mean the heavy stuff goes to the middle, the light stuff stays on the outside. Um, it means that these palisites are representative of something that made it, you know, maybe even a couple million years past the beginning of the solar system. So that's interesting, too. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the pretty type of stony iron. Uh, but then there has to be the more boring type of stony iron. And, <laughs> and just from the name. I know. Mesosiderite. Yeah, poor guy. I mean, there's nothing, nothing exciting about that. We have siderite. I mean, we have olivine all over here, but we have siderite certainly everywhere, right? This is an iron carbonate essentially. So this is the stony part of stony. It just looks gray. <laughs> it seems a little bit boring, but what's cool about it? is more of the process and less of the pretty gem quality olivine in it. Um, because mesosiderite meteorites are essentially brushes. Or can So when, when you get two things that smush together. Yeah. So that's kind of <laughs> neat. <laughs> yeah, you've got a stony meteorite and an iron meteorite. They hit each other and they've got a stony <laughs> iron meteorite. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, I want to know how how well accepted that is as the formation process for these mesosiderite meteorites. Because that, I dare I say, is that process thought process set in stone? <laughs> <Huh. laughs> or is there like another way to get these conglomerates? I mean, I don't, I don't know what it would be. Or how you would do it, but it's super weird because it is. It's this, like, weird mix of these silicate minerals and these metal clasts that are just stuck together. Right. Yeah. Well, and as everybody knows has listened to the show for long enough, you know, you read, you go do research on something, you're like, oh, it's, this is how this happens. And then you find out, no, there's actually about a dozen people in the world <laughs> 
who viciously argue over how this actually happens. Uh, we don't uh, actually know 100% for sure. Oh, the more I know, the less I know. And it's always shocking to me how few people work on some of these questions. You know what I mean? I, it was like my number one fear, if you would have asked me when I was getting a job and thinking about academia, was I would be afraid that I wouldn't have like enough questions to investigate. And it's so hard to tell someone, no, you'll absolutely have way more than you could ever answer just because there's a lot of earth out there versus how many people of us are actually like working on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in this case, it's not even earth, right? It's two proto planets that smash into each other. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of questions. This is probably still one. And this poor mesosiderite is... I don't know. He's probably my, I really love the process, but he's just not, he's just not pretty. Right. Yeah. So. Which then is going to lead us on to the logical other end member. <laughs> a <What>? stony meteorite. <laughs> what could it be? <laughs> um, so these are the ones that you were sort of alluding to before. These are the most common type of meteorites that we see. But also, to me, these are sort of the harder ones to actually identify. Yeah, they just look like rock. They just look <laughs> Silicate like <rock>. rocks. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I don't even, I don't know if it is sort of like you have to be doing this, pulling your electromagnet with your car or you have to be out in antarctica because how would these rocks get on top of the ice the only way is that they came from the sky i bet there are so many of these that are just unidentified sitting in a river somewhere because they're stony right they're instead of being a whole lot of iron they're mostly silicate minerals like all the rest of the said rocks on the <laughs> right well and we don't just go find a normal looking rock with no context and subject it to expensive and painful geochemical analysis <laughs> arguably all geochemical analysis is painful um yeah exactly so these are words that you know maybe if you've dabbled in meteorites you've heard so the types of stony meteorites are chondrites and at the opposite end of that, achondrites, right? Um, and not pretty, arguably much cooler than the others in terms of what they mean and where they come from. If we're talking about like solar system processes, I mean, you can't get much simpler chemically than an iron meteorite. But now we have these weird mixes of these silicate minerals and... Again, if I saw one of these, I wouldn't know, definitely not immediately, that this was a meteorite. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things of location, location, location. <laughs> Where did you find it? What's the context around it? You might be able to get some clues if it is a meteorite and you should do more work on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it's something really tiny, like those clues aren't there either yeah <laughs> and it's probably going to go unnoticed mm -hmm. yep that is exactly right so you gotta have a big hunk of this stuff and so like the word chondrite so that's one type um 
of these stony meteorites. It comes from the Greek word chondrus. Don't get me on the spelling. I took took German. <laughs> but that means <laughs> it means yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to be that uh that W in there. But... <laughs> hey. Wunderstatten. <clears throat> okay. Uh <laughs> So it means sand grains. So as you can imagine, if you're not looking up this chondrite meteorite picture, it just looks like a whole bunch of sand grains. But a lot of the grains are actually iron. So that's a, and that iron nickel mix. So that's a good, a good clue that you might have one of these chondrite meteorites. But it's droplets of other silicate minerals. Because remember, this stuff is floating around out there. It's probably some of the, you know, very oldest stuff that we have in the solar system. So everything's still gloopy, a lot of dust, detritus that was hanging out, and globbed together making these. And I love what they call the little groups of similar material, the droplets in them. Do you know? Not chondrules, or is that not what Yes. That? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word as well. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you've got chondrules. you got some metals interspersed in there, like you said, which make it kind of cool. But these are really proto-planetary primitive materials. That's just so cool. Yeah, exactly. So this isn't a differentiated core. It's not a differentiated mantle. It's probably like the OG stuff that's floating around even before that, which is so neat. So this is not a million years later, a hundred million years later. This is, here's this wad of space dust. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> this is it. It's just floating around. It didn't get melted or altered. They call them primitive, right? Because nothing's happened to them, which is Super neat. Um, it's also, so most of them are a lot of silicate minerals, but we also have carbonaceous chondrites, which have to have something to do with like how we started life, I would think. That's just me yeah, I mean, talking. Carbon is in the, yeah. in the name. Mm-hmm, exactly. So this is the stuff that's like, it's got water, it's got sulfur, it's got a lot of organics, and it, it's... Probably just like you said, John, that's probably how we got carbon and water to Earth in the first place. And I imagine that has to do something with creating our primordial soupy life. Um, but even more so, these are even harder to distinguish from Earth rocks. Like a carbonaceous chondrite just looks like a chunk of rock I could have dug up in my backyard. Every other carbonate. Mm-hmm. Stony. Boring old stony meteorites. <laughs> but, like I said, represents like space dust from before planet formation. So, arguably cooler, definitely not prettier. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. So, that's a chondrite, but you said there's the opposite, which is creatively named the achondrite. <laughs> confusing. <laughs> I love it. That's really funny to me for no reason at all. <laughs> But these guys are not from primordial dust and the baby planetesimals. They're actually from other planetary bodies. So 
opposite. Um, and these guys have been ejected from other planetary bodies that have made their way down here. And they make up some different types of rocks than sort of the stony chondrites because those other bodies are made up of different types of rocks already. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get stuff from Mars, you get stuff from the moon, um, even other larger asteroids. So you get a lot of igneous rocks that make up these achondrites because if you hit Mars or the moon with a big enough piece of asteroid, you're going to blow a lot of pieces out into space and those pieces will eventually make their way into earth's gravity and so achondrites i'm not gonna say it's a trash can term but it feels a little trash can term to me yeah yeah i agree yeah so basically anything from another planet they're still really it's not solid iron yeah exactly <laughs> like it's still really important because it can tell us a whole lot about that planet right um but these igneous chunks that we're getting in these achondrites like i said they tell us a whole lot about another planet again still not super easy to determine that it's not an igneous rock from here i i yeah these might be the hardest ones to tell that this achondrite didn't come from earth itself Right. But, but yeah, so that's that's the last one. Um not the most exciting for me. I'm sure it is for a lot of different people. Um I would certainly love to have you you've never found a meteorite on the ground, have you? Not that I know of. Not that I know of either. I can't imagine. It'd be really cool though. I'm sure some of my geologic maps that I made look like it. <laughs> That's true. I've been to a lot of meteor craters, but they pick through that stuff pretty fast. As you said, just get a big old magnet out there, any kind of metal detector, and um, all those pieces are already already spoken for. And I don't think there's a cooler meteorite name than the Canyon Diablo meteorite. (laughs) It's a pretty pretty awesome name. That is pretty awesome, yeah. So So mm -hmm. do you know anything about the Holbrook meteorite? No, I do not. Ah, okay. So we need to do a whole other show on this. Mm. Uh, but out in Arizona, in it was back in the may not have even been the nineteen teens, there was a meteorite that exploded, and they estimate that like fifteen thousand pieces or so made it to the ground, and a lot of them have been found, but a lot of them are probably still out there. Ooh, okay. But it was a chondrite. Mm. All right. So maybe we need to go out to Arizona and look for chondrites. Maybe we need to do that. It's an LLL ordinary chondrite. So see, we just scratched the first surface because you have ordinary chondrites and it goes into all of their different... And then apparently yeah. LLL. Uh-huh. Yeah, those L and LL are relatively low and very low iron. So it is a low, very low iron, ordinary chondrite. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Granular olivine and orthopyroxene. So that's probably that's probably a pretty one. Okay. 
That's very All right, exciting. when do we leave? Yeah. Um, tomorrow? I need to get me some of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it says that these little specimens are pretty badly weathered. I would be so excited to, uh, yeah, find a piece of meteorite. Surely you've got some really good metal detectors for us to use, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, great. That's what I thought. These things, these pieces, I looked up this Holbrook meteorite, obviously. These pieces look like every other piece of rock that will be lying on the ground out there. <laughs> uh, yes, they do. <laughs> you get a lot of, like, crusty stuff in the desert, right? You get a lot of, like, black crust of, like, manganese and iron on top of everything, and these just look like tiny, black, crusty rocks. Yeah. Um, maybe it won't be the easiest search. But That's okay. Fun. It sure would be. I'm sure we'll find all kinds of fun rocks to. That we can take back about. to your friend and say, "Are these meteorites?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I always come at her with, "I mean, I know what this is, but you tell me what you think." <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I don't want to fail. Failing sucks. And that takes us into everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. Yay! Not Something yay. that we were talking about in the, uh, in the therapy session we have before <laughs> we record the show where uh, we debrief uh, uh. each other. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so you found this paper. You asked if I wanted you to find the fun paper for this week. And I said, yes, I'm looking forward to reading the next issue of BMJ. <laughs> So you purposely found something not from BMJ. Yeah, I found something from the Journal of Polymorphous Perversity. <laughs> um, this rabbit hole that led me to this website. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to, yeah, I won't bore you, bore you with it, but... <laughs> I'm very proud of Does it have myself. anything to do with the book that is advertised in the sidebar for me that is Oral Sadism <laughs> and the Vegetarian Personality? It does not, and I purposefully did not click on that. <laughs> so we don't get hate mail from vegetarians. I think we all know your chicken strip diet is... <laughs> yeah, but I just... I, it's not a targeted ad either. Like, it's just there. It's just um, Oral Sadism. <laughs> There's some fascinating books that are advertised on this website. Oh. Freudulent Encounters. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. For the young at heart. J-U-N-G. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, I figured that you would really, really love this. <laughs> yeah, so it's short-term cognitive therapy for authors of rejected manuscripts by Ness and Bim. Also from University of Central Arkansas. Yeah. It just keeps getting better and better. Um, so I recently got a manuscript rejected. I definitely went through all those, like, well, I went through everything that they go through in here, right? <laughs> and so the authors write that, you know, publishing isn't easy. Um, you can put in all this work and not even be accepted. And so what follows, because this is <laughs> basically most of the polymorphous perversity are psychology related, as you can tell from that Freudulent encounters. Um, and so they have their own therapy session. And in the, in the 
guise of this paper with all the things that go through your mind once you've been rejected and how to counteract those. Right. And yes, these are all, I mean, we've both had papers rejected. We both know it's not fun. We've mm-hmm. both gone through almost all these, like you said. And uh, I mean, we won't go through all 14 of them. I figured you'd pick out your, your favorites, because certainly I have favorites in this list right here. Uh, so There Is No Future for Me was probably my favorite out of all of them. Oh, man, I'm going to have to. <clears throat> yeah, I, that's hilarious that we both went to the most catastrophic one. So there is no future for me. Their description is, now, doggone it, there you go, catastrophizing again. In fact, there is a future for you. It just may not be in academia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, the (laughs) The one after that one, I guess, um, was definitely, I've been personally rejected. Right. And they say, no, you've been professionally rejected. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> the pain lasts for a very long time, but you will recover. <laughs> it says, if you were believing blind reviews, then you know the reviewers had no idea who you were, unless they peaked. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that was the one that, that hit me pretty good, too. Uh-huh. I, I also liked the I am a miserable failure, because this is something that I will say to myself too often probably and their response is leave the adjective out of there there is no empirical basis available by which to measure the degree of failure (laughs) besides this is a classic example of overgeneralization you're probably highly successful at something think about it think about it for a long time if you have (laughs) yep that's um Oh, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> this is my best effort. I'll never be able to write again. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Nobody likes a quitter. And frankly, learned helplessness does not become you at all. <laughs> Seek inspiration. Go see Field of Dreams. Continue to refute defeatist thinking. Think a wonderful thought. Any little thing will do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like that directly directly goes back to our therapy session before the show (laughs) yeah and then uh uh, um, also this one i'm going to hurt the members of the editorial board (laughs) oh man that's a good one (laughs) that one ends with as long as you're at it give any weapons you own to a trusted friend preferably one who has been published (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's good um (laughs) The, if I don't publish, I will perish. Fruit perishes. People die. <laughs> and you won't die. <laughs> you, my God. This is where I'm just walking out of, I think. You might wander into the existential void for a spell if you get yet another rejection. But it could be worse. To prove our point, take out that rejected manuscript again and read the negative, cruel, and painful remarks one more time. There. Put it down. We said put it down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's easy to just keep going back to that wound. Um, Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Yes, so that was a great find. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it really was. I was like, oh, I'll go for these references. The references are by the authors themselves. It hurts so bad. Rejection, unpublished manuscript, 
Ouch. Rejected again. Unpublished manuscript. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's good stuff. Um, yeah, this was not from the BMJ and was very good. <laughs> yeah. So if you have thoughts on the short-term therapy techniques that you use to deal with manuscript rejection, uh, we'd love to hear those. Shannon, how can they send those in? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can tweet us at don'tpanicgeo. I am at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for making us feel not like failures. You can support us too. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.